you would like to read a, a good book on how to restore your spiritual passion, um, there's a book written years ago uh, by Gordon MacDonald entitled Restoring Your Spiritual Passion. <laughs> that was a great title, wasn't it? I read it when I was uh, left a PhD program at Dallas Seminary back in the day, uh, and I was out of gas. I was tired. Uh, and I'm like, I need, uh, I need some help. Uh, that book transformed my inner life. So I would submit it to you. It's a great read. My, my copy is literally falling apart from reading it, rereading it, studying it, etc. So I'd submit it to you. That's just something extra for the day. So like you need another book to read, correct? <laughs> Uh, don't forget to uh, turn your bottles in uh, for Sanctity of Life Ministry. Uh, you can still do that. You can also still pick up a bottle as well. Uh, we collect these for Sanctity of Life uh, to protect the unborn. Uh, and our church is a major contributor and people are already turning in uh, your tithe to them today. So I commend you for that. But there's still time to pick up a bottle. I think they have 80 bottles left. So there's more than 80 people here, if I do the math correctly. So... Uh, we're in the book of Romans. Remember Romans? We're in Romans. Uh, we're in chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Uh, this week, uh, we are, as you know, we've uh, paid the fruit group uh, job placement service to find a new worship pastor uh, for us. Uh, and they uh, have been working at that for three months. And they told us at the end of three months, they would give us names of top candidates. So they submitted those names to us this Wednesday. There were seven top candidates. And boy, were they top candidates uh, from all over the country. Um, I think the largest church was a church of 7,000, one guy, or 10,000, one guy was at. Uh, so they are very, very talented. And so we were presented to them uh, this Wednesday, uh, our, our selection team. Uh, that took four hours to go through the, the interview with the uh, leader of uh, Fruit Group. Um, then we had to whittle it down from, from uh, seven to four. That was hard. Uh, and so we contacted them this week and or this last week and so we're going to interview them uh this wednesday personally and so uh if you be in prayer that's going to be wednesday with three candidates all afternoon and then we're going to interview another candidate i believe on thursday this whole hiring thing is like a part-time job for us you know so be in prayer for that we want to we want to get a man who understands that this is not about a performance it's about the worship of the living god there's a radical difference and darren knew how to worship god uh, and so we want another person with a heart for God, uh, and, but, but, but is on key, correct? <laughs> That's so important, isn't it? I mean, I'm, as a pianist, I, I totally get it. Yeah, it's like, I think they're a quarter of a note off. That's not good, right? Correct? We're in agreement? Excellent. Okay. Uh, in Romans uh, chapter 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Now let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, appeal ourselves uh, of your mind uh, that your thoughts would become our thoughts uh, about the things we're going to talk about. Uh, tough area of the faith. May we learn to uh, grow up in this area so that we can be more effective with the gospel to the lost. Uh, may we be that way corporately. May we be this way individually uh, and help us to learn how to, to grow up in these areas where it's hard to know just how to navigate as a Christian as we're going to see from Paul's pen. And we pray for the lost that you guide here today. They may not have a clue as to why they're sitting here, but you've brought them here. You're loving them. You've sovereignly ordered their events of their life to draw them into church. And may uh, the discussion that we have today uh, showcase the gospel to them that can save them. In Christ's name, amen. How should a, a Christian, a Christ follower, respond to the culture as godless and carnal as it is for maximum impact? I'm asked this all the time. I mean, people send me emails all the time. 
what, do I, what do I do now that the culture has gone off the proverbial moral cliff? What, what do you do? Um, there was a book that I read years ago, and it's funny how fast your library becomes really old. All the books that I bought, bought back in the 70s and 80s are now really old books. Uh, Yellow Pages, etc. There's a book that I read years ago as a young, young man um, by uh, Joe Aldrich, who's now deceased, but he used to be the president of Multnomah uh, Bible School out in, uh, in Oregon. Uh, I think it was in Portland where that is. Uh, great, great school. Uh, he wrote a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. It is the greatest book on how to reach your culture for Christ that I've ever read. And I've read, I don't even know how many books on that subject. What he does in this book is he presents a, a motif, which is what you should be striving for as a Christian to reach your godless culture. So what should we do? So I'm going to submit to you, uh, it's all about a teeter-totter. So here's a, you remember teeter-totters? Before video games, there were teeter-totters. Um, so think, think about the teeter-totter. So uh, what he's going to show you is in his book, Lifestyle Evangelism, if you want to reach the culture, you have to maintain a balance between these two positions or two poles. Uh, so on the, on the one hand, you have to have what is called critical participation or subtitled radical identification. So that, that's denoting the kind of Christian that when it comes to the culture, I identify with that culture and you might not be able to tell if I'm a Christian or not because I've so identified with the culture. On the other side of the spectrum or teeter-totter, you have what he calls uh, critical transcendence or radical difference. Hey, I am so radically like Jesus, I don't even, I don't even know my culture. Now, what happens in church life is Christians err on either side of that teeter-totter. They are so culturally identified, you can't tell that they're Christian, and you're shocked when you find out that they are, or they're so transcendent that they don't even know like, what, what the books are that they're reading or the music that they're listening to, etc. And so it's, it's, wisdom is for the middle. So uh, when it comes to a gray area of the faith, what should I do? And Paul will spend an entire chapter, chapter 14 of Romans, talking about gray areas of the faith where it's not a moral issue and it's not a doctrinal issue and the scripture didn't talk about it explicitly. How should a growing Christian behave? Well, I've, all, I've lived my whole Christian life uh, with this teeter-totter in mind. Balance. Wisdom is, is you got to be in the middle somewhere. Which one are you is the question. Uh, he says in his book, and this is, an, this is the best description of this motif I've ever seen on how to live your life. But he's going to do it based on a vertical and a horizontal concept. We're just, just apply that to the teeter-totter, okay? Um, he says, if the vertical dimension is neglected, one faces the temptation of becoming a cultural immersionist, a believer whose actions and thoughts are no different than those of a non-believer. If the horizontal dimension is neglected, uh, one side of the, uh, one temptation is becoming culturally a rejectionist, a believer who has no identification with society in which he lives. The key, he says, seems to be maintaining a balance between the believer's radical difference and his radical identification. That is the essence of what Paul has been arguing about in chapter 14. He then goes on to say, although our Lord expects communication without contamination, from the culture, we cannot communicate effectively without identification. That's a word. It's not in the Bible, but that's a wise word, isn't it? When you, when you want to reach people for Christ, you, you want to communicate to them in such a way that you reach them, but you don't want to be contaminated by what they do. But then by the same token, uh, you, you've got to be careful that you're not so identified with them, they don't ever see the gospel in your life. That's wise words. 
Wise words. Uh, what he tells you in the book is, as a maturing Christian, you should constantly evaluate where you are on these two poles. So where's a legalist going to be? Are you looking at the teeter-totter? Are you afraid to talk in church? Lord, release them. Let them talk. Yeah. Uh, so where would legalists be? Critical transcendence. Yeah, 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 yeah. I submit to you uh, another statement uh, from Aldrich about the, the dangers of this balance and being out of balance. He says this, the Christian who is highly involved with non-believers but minimally involved with Christian fellowship may be in jeopardy. He has lots of identification but is in the danger of neglecting those things which maintain a healthy radical difference. And he's in danger of being absorbed into the non-believing culture, thus nullifying his distinctive message. No kidding. He says, on the other hand, the Christian who maintains a radical difference without growing uh, radical identification is likewise nullifying his distinctive message. This is because he's being absorbed into the culture that does not exist outside the body of Christ. He is so radically different from non-believers, no one can identify with him. I submit to you, a pastor who's trying to make a difference in Virginia Beach between these two poles. Uh, it, as for sake of illustration, because that discussion might have been too abstract. So we're going to come down, what was he talking about? Well, I'm going to come down the ladder of abstraction to pastor of disaster. And that's what he's called by his church. I would not, now they've said, Darren used to say party with Marty thing. I mean, remember? I mean, that is about the farthest thing from what I'm about. But remember? Well, they call this pastor the pastor of disaster. His name is Preston Hawker. Uh, he's with the Freedom Fellowship Church in Virginia Beach. And he's an MMA fighter. Yeah. Praise God for MMA fighters that come to know Christ. So what is that? Mixed martial arts. Yes, okay. Yeah, mixed martial arts. He's a pastor. He probably gets lots of conversions, doesn't he? Yeah. Now, now you think about this guy. Now, there is an entire subculture you may be unaware of in the United States. In fact, there are 700 churches in the United States that have pastors built into the MMA motif. It, this is, their church is about that. It's not just like what they do at the church on a Saturday morning. It's them. It's what their church is about. Could you imagine if I were to tell you when we move into the new building, one of the things we're gonna do is, I haven't even got to what I'm gonna say yet. <laughs> You're just such fast thinkers, it's hard to preach here. We're going to change our church to the MMA model. Master, mixed martial arts. So what do they do? They actually fight each other in like hand-to-hand -hand combat. To me, yeah. No, like during the week, it's part of their ministry. This is what they do with each other. This will solve a lot of church fights, wouldn't it? I'll meet you Tuesday, you know, in the cage. I mean, this is what they do. Now, we laugh at this especially since we have a lot of people who are trained to do combat. But, but I was reading what his church is doing, thinking to myself, wouldn't you kind of age out? I mean, you know, I'm 62. You think I want to go? I mean, I wrestled in high school, but I did that now. I'd have fractured bones and all kinds of things. I mean, I'm thinking his, his church is probably a narrow field, uh, younger age, right? You're not going to have senior citizens in there going, let me put my walker down and it will take you on. You know, it's like, no. So on the scale, where would you say this church is? Critical participation or critical transcendence? Critical participation, right? So should we send them a letter and go, hey, hey, we are praying for your church, man. You guys are out. It's, that's terrible. Should I do that? 
No, no. Because where does it say in the scriptures, you cannot build a church around an MMA model? <laughs> now, now, now you could say, well, our Lord said, somebody hits you on the right cheek, you, <laughs> you hit them on the other cheek, so you shouldn't do that. And the response would be, well, after that, he gave you no further instruction. You can hit away. I mean, you can, I mean, <laughs> you know, you can argue this either way. So I'm just saying when it comes to a gray area, it's not that simple, right? Am I right? So like, think of like Comic Con. I'm from San Diego. I mean, that's like where it was, started, you know. Should a Christian go there? Have you ever seen the people dressed up that are there? Should you be seeing how they're dressed up? I mean, should a Christian be there getting in the coat? I mean, it's a, it's a point. I mean, think about this. J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were friends and got together like weekly and had discussions about their writings. What did they write about? J.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. And they wove spiritual motifs into these books. And now they're, I mean, they're impacting the world, are they not? In a very unusual way. But it's a gray area, is it not? So the, so the person who is the, I'll get to my sermon in a minute. So the person who's into critical transcendence would say, thou shalt not write Chronicles, Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, Criticals of Narnia is what I almost said, but uh, <laughs> Chronicles of Narnia, because you're, you're getting into the world. But, but C.S. Lewis and Tolkien are going, hey, it's radical identification. I mean, we've got to kind of know the world to reach the world. This is a gray area, right? Is it not? And so what do you do in areas like that that are gray? So... Well, what does God want in a gray area? Well, he spent, Paul spent an entire chapter 14 talking about this because it was a huge issue at their church. Should I eat, eat meat offered to an idol? The Gentiles like, no problem. That idol is just a stone. My brother-in-law carved it, you know? <laughs> the Jews saying, oh, thou shalt not. And they had this huge issue, etc. So in chapter 14, we covered 10 unity principles in chapter 14. He's gonna add two more in chapter 13 because remember the Bible originally didn't have chapters and verses. So chapter 15 goes thematically with chapter 14. So my, ask, my wife asked me this morning, she said, what are you preaching about today? Same thing I preached about the last three Sundays. Uh, what is, what's that? Well, God wants unity, not disunity in, in gray areas. That, that's what we're gonna preach about. Well, what are the new concepts that Paul wants to get us? I thought he already gave us 10. He did. There's two more, two more points. Uh, if you wanna have unity in gray areas, what should you do? Here's point number 11. Verse one of chapter 15, don't be self-seeking. Don't be self-seeking. And it's not all about you. This is our culture. But, but Paul says, no, it's not about you. It's about other people. Notice what he says. Now, he says, we, we, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength, not just to please ourselves. So let's go back to the motif. Who are the strong Christians? Well, they're the Christians who on the teeter-totter are on which side? Well, they're, they're more identified with the culture. Because they're strong. Like I can, like, okay, a couple of years ago when I first moved here, I went to a cage fight with a bunch of non-Christian businessmen. George, I used to wrestle in high school. So it was like, this is cool. And so I went uh, and uh, <laughs> we had dinner at Brian's and then went across the street to the, you know. And so if you saw me there and you're like, hey, what's the new pastor doing here? I would ask you, what are you doing here? <laughs> I'm just coming out to see what my sheep are doing. You know, in the whole time when the smoke's coming out and the guys are running out into the cage and everything, uh, they're playing this heavy metal music and everything. And I'm like, well, that's a really good song. And I'd name the song. And the non-Christian accountant next to me, after a while, he's like, man, you're blowing my mind. I'm like, why? He goes, you know all the songs. How's that possible? 
well, I don't just read my Bible all the time. I mean, you know, but it's that, that whole thing. Identify with the culture to some degree because I'm not going to reach those non-Christian guys if I, I don't kind of know their world, right? So that would be the strong Christian. I can go, but there's limitations of what I'll do in one of those things. But I'm at least there. That's a strong Christian. The, the weak Christian is, well, you never see me there. Okay. Who do you think is going to lead more people to Christ? Who? The stronger one. Paul says, uh, hey, let me talk to the, about unity in the body of Christ. Who's, who has a greater responsibility to create peace in a church? The weaker brother or the stronger brother? Nah, the, weak, the stronger brother, the more mature brother. He's there to create unity in the body of Christ. And Paul says, let me talk to you first because you need to strive for unity and, and do what you need to do, which means you need to acquiesce and back up on issues that are great because it's not that big of a deal. So our culture is the opposite of this. It's my way or the proverbial highway. Uh, I'm always right, you are always wrong. And when I am wrong, you're wronger. <laughs> I know you're freaking out. Wow, this is a grammatical church that's totally not grammatical. So just put the war, word more in front of it. You're more wrong. You see, I never give, give in because that is just a sign of weakness. Uh, I don't compromise in gray areas because there are not gray areas. No, Paul says, no, there's gray areas. And if you're a more mature saint, you should learn how to back up if it's not a gray area. I submit to you the piano fiasco. How could that become a huge area at a church? It's a piano. I submit to you, Sermon Central, and what a pastor contributed to Sermon Central that I bumped into by accident this week. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Notice this. Bob Russell wrote of a church years ago that bickered over the use of a piano. Some wanted to use the piano during the Sunday worship. Others did not. Uh, the disagreement grew so sharp and the church was divided on two sides over the issue. One Sunday, when members arrived for church, they discovered a new piano was on the stage. To the horror of half the congregation, someone actually played the piano during the service. The furious members, they marched out of the building in protest. The following Sunday, everyone returned to the church, but the piano was no longer on the stage. Those who had bought the instrument couldn't find it and immediately pointed fingers at those who didn't want the piano. For months, the piano remained lost. I'm not, this, is, this is true. Accusations flew, tempers flared six months later. Someone finally found the missing piano. Guess where it was? No, it was in the baptistry. You have got to be kidding me. It's in the baptistry. It had been there, undiscovered the entire time. Think about this. Why did they stick it in the baptistry? Because nobody's getting baptized. Nobody's getting baptized, which means nobody's getting saved. Because if you have a church that's got issues going on like this, fighting, what non-Christian's going to walk in and go, wow, man, they are going at it over the piano. I'm, I'm coming to church here. I mean, whatever gospel of good news they're talking about, this is awesome. This fighting stuff, this goes on at the Pentagon, everywhere. You know, that's the last thing a non-Christian wants to see, right? It's coming to a church. What are they fighting over? Uh, the piano. See, they're not, they're not going to get saved. See, to me, I'm reading this thing going, obviously hit it in the piano because they knew nobody gets saved at our church because all we do is fight. See, if a church is not unified, they don't turn the culture back to Christ. See, all those emails that I get uh, during the week, as to, okay, the government and everything's gone off the proverbial moral cliff. What do we do? Uh, you, you apply what Paul is teaching here in these two chapters. You identify with the culture, but you're transcendent, strive for the middle, live for Christ powerfully, and they need the gospel is what they need. They need Christ.
And what, what happens? The devil gets us, us distracted over things like the piano. I submit to you, is a piano that big of a deal? No. So what does Paul say? Verse 2, he says, Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good and his edification. Not for my good, but for my neighbor's good. So if I'm a stronger Christian, a more mature Christian, it's not about me, it's about them. If they're weaker in the faith, then I have to take that into consideration and not make something that's a gray area an issue and thereby destroy unity. How do you live? Because I can tell you, I've seen a lot of churches divided over the fact that people would not, would not submit to one another and, 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 and give up the ghost and let the other person have their way. You know, it's, it's all about accommodating. It's accommodating other Christians. Does that mean that I should accommodate on every single thing? No, no. Common sense would tell you that. Uh, in the, it, Corinth, read 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, verses 10 to 17, uh, Paul confronted, confronted the Corinthian church that he founded. He was the church planter. Uh, he confronted them because in chapter one, they were arguing over who baptized who. Does it matter when you get to the gate of glory and Jesus is looking at you going, hey, thank you, it's awesome to see you. First, let me know who baptized you. I was baptized by Pastor Marty, hallelujah. <laughs> is that, and, and then someone else behind him. Yeah, uh, I was baptized by Pastor Michael Coffey. Is it gonna really matter? No. no, it doesn't matter. They were fighting over that. One would say, well, I was baptized by Apollos the greatest orator in the Christian church, so articulate, words that nobody knew what he was saying. I was baptized. His hands touched me as we went under. And the other one would say, no, I was, I was baptized by Paul who saw Jesus in glory. I mean, he, he put me under the baptismal waters. I am greater than you. See what Christians argue about? All the things that don't matter. So, so Paul says, hey, drop all that stuff and think about accommodating. And he said, let me give you your model. Your model's Jesus. Uh, he quotes from Psalm 69 here, verse nine. He says in verse three, for even Christ did not please himself when he could have, but it's written in Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached you, the father, fell on me. So Jesus says, when I arrived, all the hatred that the world had to the father, they just turned their sights on me. If anybody could have stayed in heaven, it would have been Christ. But what'd he do? He left the glory of heaven. To live among a bunch of legalistic, traditionalistic, Mishnaic-loving Jews who created all these laws, rules, and regulations, he could have just stayed in heaven. But he came down here and he acquiesced to their level. And uh, when they would argue with him about healing on the Sabbath, he still loved them anyway. And he cared about them. See, he accommodated to their level. Here's the point. Since Jesus accommodated if he didn't accommodate to our level, we, none of us would be saved. Since he accommodated to our level to, to save Jews and Gentiles, well, extrapolate from there. Then I should accommodate to those levels of other Christians around me too because you're not greater than your master. He says in verse four, Paul says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance in the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Because if your church is fighting over color of the nursery, Remember that? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Color nursery. Uh, and my mom's who moved out here a couple months ago. She's like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, color nursery, uh, placement of the piano, etc. You know, uh, it takes away your hope. There's no hope. Paul says you need to have hope. So study the scriptures because in them you will find God will give you encouragement because you'll see how other Christians navigated and, and got hope. Hope. Hope is what we need. 
So what's that mean? It means when I study through the Old Testament, how many books are there in the Old Testament? There's old has three letters, Testament has nine, there's 39. You like math? What, why do I read? So I'm reading Chronicles, first, first and second Chronicles. What's that about? Well, it, well it's, about, it's about how the nation fell. How does a nation fall? We'll read first and second Chronicles. Because it's written after the Babylonians destroyed Israel in 586 BC, and after the northern kingdom fell in 722 BC to Tiglath Pileser. It, it's, it's about how they fell, and the priests are writing this after the fact to say, this is how our nation fell and no one was paying attention. And he says, if you study those things written in earlier times, you'll get instructions how to persevere through what's going on in our culture as we fall away from great things. Same thing. So he says, study Jesus. You should be a student of Jesus. How did he live in gray areas? Well, who did Jesus hang around with? Who did he hang around with? You know Jesus? Who did he hang around with? Prostitutes. Tax collectors. I mean, you name it. I mean, people that, you know, the culture didn't like, but Jesus said, no, I love them. I came, I came for them. See, he, he is our illustration. Paul says in verse five, now may the, it's like a prayer. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement, because it only comes from him when you're in an argument with other Christians, perseverance and encouragement only come from God, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may, with one voice, glorify the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He said, my, my prayer for you as a church is that, that God might so touch and anoint you that you're of the same mind when it comes to things that matter most and that you, you're of the same mind of things that don't matter. Do you think that a church this size of 2,500 people agrees about everything? Sure they do. No, Monday morning I get email, me email, email, email. Okay, theological question, theological difference, this, that, this. I mean, it's, in, it's to infinity and beyond from a great movie, I think. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen the movie. I'm like, that's awesome, yeah. Uh, but we don't agree, but where we're, we're powerful as a church is we're unified on the essentials. We understand what the non-essentials are, which frees us to get into the culture, to impact the culture, but then we're, we're about holiness. So there's that balance in the middle of that teeter-totter, which is why this is a great church. I submit to you, churches that have issues, how important is coffee for ministry? I know. <laughs> Sorry. We, we are a real church here. We're like a family. So I got to talk to you for just a minute. So there was a church that uh, had a coffee ministry. Not our church, but another church. They had a coffee ministry, and they specialized in Folder, Folger's Coffee. A mild blend. Church began to grow and flourish. I mean, because coffee is a great millennial food group, is it not? Yeah. So, so the church began to grow and flourish, and so they got a bunch of new people who didn't like Folgers. It was the Starbucks group. Now, this is what I drink, but it's a, it's a bolder coffee. I mean, I grew up on heavy-duty stuff. This is, if it says, you know, five scoops, my wife and I put in eight or nine. I, I'm not kidding you. Back to my sermon. So, so the new group came along and said, well, we want the harder stuff, you know? And so, so they, they did it. They switched the coffee. They got rid of the Folgers and they came up with the harder, the, you know, the more dense coffee, Starbucks. Well, guess what happened to that church? Huge fight, church fight over what? Coffee. How important is coffee for spiritual life? 
Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'll challenge you. Go out, to, go out here after the service, walk back to the coffee area, and you will notice two things. There's basically, there's decaf, which is like, why? Uh, but there's, but there's, there's two other pots there. One is titled Samson Brew. And the other is, well, for those other people that aren't mature yet in Christ. But now, now if we were to take away the Samson Brew, do you think I would get an email about it? Yeah, several. Thou shalt not touch the Samson Brew. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's in the Mosaic Law, like point 10, 11, et cetera. So here's the point. We get all upset over non-issues, which aren't really issues. But if there's an issue there and I can back up, then I would acquiesce and let you have the Folgers. And I can, I can drink the other at home, right? Or I can make an issue out of it, which is not godly. So Paul says, think about other people other than yourself. And my last point is a simple point. Unity keep number 12. Do be all embracing of everybody. He says in verse seven, let me summarize my argument. He's like an attorney. He says, let, let me summarize my argument. What do I want you to do at church? What's he say? Well, oh, it's hard to read that because <laughs> there's just some people here. I just, they're not my kind of people. No, uh, he says, except who? One another with provisions. No, exceptions. No, uh, just as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. Accept each other. Could you imagine how different our body is wired? I mean, think about it. Some here are educated, highly educated. Some are not educated. Some got out of high school. and That is, that is as far as I want to go. You're accepted in the body of Christ. Uh, some here are refined. Some here are rough. Amen. <laughs> or they're sitting on the front row, I guess, right? Okay. Some are articulate. Uh, you don't even know what they're talking about. Some can't talk their way across the street. It's okay. Uh, some are emotionally stable. Some are, well, uh, some are extremely gifted. And I don't make fun of those who are not emotionally straight. They're more like a roller coaster because we're all wired differently. Uh, some are extremely gifted. Some wonder what happened when God handed out gifts. Uh, some love to be with people. Some like to be alone like a monk in a cave. Some are, had easy lives. Some had very hard lives. Some had great parents. Some had terrible parents. But once you get saved and you're part of the body of the Christ, we should look at you and go, hey, I accept you. I accept you. Do you? See, my last church in California where I was at for almost 20 years, the church I planted, uh, when I left there, it was probably 25% Filipino, 20%, 25% Hispanic. We led a lot of Hindus to Christ. So we had a lot of them that were believers uh, and a smattering of American Indians and everybody. Is that the body of Christ? Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you kind of a joke. And the Hispanics did this at my church. Their section did this. Don't blame me. They called, and I didn't know about this for years. They came to me and they told me, they let me know that their section was called Little Tijuana. <laughs> I'm like, okay. That's what they told me. Because they came to me after a service one day and they said, hey, hey, pastor, uh, we got a problema here, man. I'm like, what? They go, there's a gringo in the Hispanic section. <laughs> and it became like a church joke. I mean, we so accepted each other. We could talk about each other. I mean, in a good way because we loved each other. Correct? What did Paul say? Accept each other. So if they're different than you, accept them. So then he's talking to the Jews and the Gentiles here, two ethnic groups. 
And they didn't kind of like each other. The Jews don't like the Gentiles at this church. And the Gentiles, who are a little bit looser, you know, live life a little bit better. They don't like the Jews. Too many laws, rules, and regulations, see? Paul says, uh, I need to talk to you. Verse 8. It says, for I say that Christ has become a servant of the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Jesus became a servant. See, he left the glory of heaven, went to the cross for us. But he says here, first and foremost, he came to save the Jew first, the circumcision, the Jews, that he might fulfill the promises. What promises? Well, all the covenants from the Old Testament. See, had he not left the glory of heaven to go to the cross for us, to rise the third day, he could not fulfill all those promises to Israel, like the Abrahamic covenant. Palestinian covenant to give them their own land, the Davidic covenant to give them the King of Kings, the Messiah, the new covenant, Jeremiah 30, 31, to give them a new heart, etc. He couldn't give them any of those if he didn't accommodate to their level and accept them as people. And he did. So Paul's, Paul's giving the, the Gentiles here a word. And he's telling them, you Gentiles who don't like the Jews at your church, they have their own little section. No, nah, you need to get over that. Jesus was a Jew and he died for those Jews to, to fulfill the covenants so that you could be saved. He looks at the Gentiles in verse nine through 12, and he has this to say. He says for the, for the Gentiles, uh, he says they, the, God's plan was for the Gentiles to glorify God to his mercy, as it is written. He says, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. I will sing unto your name. Again, he says in the Old Testament, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God says, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Uh, and, all, and let all the peoples praise him. And Isaiah says, uh, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles and in, in, in him, the Messiah, will the Gentiles hope. So he's quoting from the entire Old Testament. Uh, in verse nine, he quotes from uh, Psalm 18, 49. From uh, verse 10, he quotes from the Torah, Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Uh, in verse 11, he quotes from uh, David's pen, Psalm 117. Uh, in, uh, in verse 12, he quotes from Isaiah, the prophet, and says, Isaiah prophesied all over the place that God was gonna save the goyim, the Gentiles. So he's talking to the Jews to say, you don't like the Gentile section in your church? You better get used to it, because that's heaven. I died for them too, and your, your scriptures, well, they prophesy that God loves the Gentiles. See, our culture tries to divide us all up, doesn't it? And what does Jesus do? He unites everybody at the cross. That's what he does. So you got a decision to make before you leave this house of worship. If you go back to the teeter-totter. What's a teeter-totter? Well, where am I? Am I so identified with my culture? I never, I, I, I don't even look like a Christian. Am I so transcendent? They don't even, they don't even, I don't even know anything about the culture. God, give me wisdom to be right down the middle at all times and train my children to live that way too. That's a powerful saint right there and a church. And boy, does the culture need it. Let's pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. Uh, help us take these areas that are gray, uh, where you not explicitly say how we are to do things and help us to be gracious toward each other, accepting of each other, not judgmental, and give us perseverance and hope and encouragement as we learn more how to do this because our culture is waiting to see Christ in action. In Christ's name, amen.